Hello and welcome to the Grapeseed Official Podcast. For this episode, our guest is Mikolos Fair, a former Grapeseed teacher who is now a Grapeseed evangelist, spreading the good word of our program with schools and parents throughout Japan. We'll be opening the box of Unit 20, going through each teaching component and discussing things you should keep in mind as you teach Unit 20 in your own classrooms. Welcome back to the podcast, Miklos. It is a great honor to be here. Let's get right into it and open the box. First, we have your very sentimental song, That Kind of Day. This is a sentimental song. I love it. Actually, I sing this to my kids at home almost every day. And there's so much we can do with this. Um, the unit, the first component on the first lesson plan is this song. And the last component on the last lesson plan of this unit is this song. And of course, the teaching instructions are a little bit different at the beginning at the end. But for example, uh, the instructions in the beginning tell us to ask questions like, before we sing the song, what kind of day do you love? Do you love rainy days, windy days, snowy days? And then you sing the song as you point to the pictures. And it reminded me that it's not necessary to approach this or any component from the perspective of this is a new component, so students will just have to be quiet and listen. This is, is it, that, that isn't true. They're on Unit 20. They can talk about a lot of things even before we present the component for the first time. The song is new to them, but what they can talk about is they already have abundant things to talk about. They have a lot that they can uh, say and comment about even just by looking at the picture on the first teaching card before we sing the song. And then after we sing the song, and this is one where I, I kind of get a little uh, emotional because uh, um, it's a sweet song and it's so fun to sing. Yeah, you touched on there the difference in teaching between the beginning of the unit and the end of the unit, highlighting that in Unit 20, our students already have a strong foundation of English. If we look at the quick checks here, they really highlight the stage of expectations we have for our students here in Unit 20. So even in early exposures, this kind of echoes what you were talking about, Miklos, but we're looking for full sentence output from the students, even from the get-go. Growing from simple sentences to the end exposures, where we want students to express their opinion and also why they think that way. So this not only gets them using language from the material, but also incorporates language and expressions from previous units. Yeah, and actually exactly what you just said is right there uh, along the way in the various exposures throughout the unit of uh, this song, but especially in the last lesson uh, where we teach this song. The very, it's the very last thing in Unit 20, and uh, the question that the lesson plan uh, tells us to ask is, hey, uh, boys and girls, what kind of weather do you like? And then followed up by why. Uh, what's your opinion? And then it, even it says, in pairs, have students tell each other what they like. And this this all always reminds me, too, that the lesson plans remind us to get students not just responding to teacher questions, but talking to each other, which is actually, I think, more important than just answering the teacher's questions. Answering the teacher's questions is practice, but talking to your friends is the real goal. Yeah, that's more natural communication. Great point. So let's move on to I Went to See the Zookeeper. So this is the last installment in the I Went to series targeting the past tense of a regular verb. So here we're mainly focusing on have had, choose, chose, stick, stuck, sit, sat, throw through, catch, caught, run, ran, and find, found. As we talked about in previous podcasts, the easiest way to demonstrate meaning and model for your students is to give a student a command in the present tense, wait for them to do it, then ask the class what the student did. For example, you can say, Bobby, catch this ball. Then you toss a ball to Bobby and let him catch it. Class, what did Bobby do? Yes, he caught the ball. Yeah, exactly. There's, uh, 
Especially when those kinds of things are planned in advance, they work so well. It's, um, I know I was talking with a teacher recently and he was somewhere getting ready to start units uh, unit 18 or 19. And he's told me that the kids were getting tired of the quote unquote same song over and over again in the units. And I found that interesting because one, the arrangements, the, the song, obviously there's a pattern to it. The arrangements are all very different. And something that I found in my own experience is that kids, as well as parents, they look forward to the next installment of I went to see the whatever um, because they want to see what the next one's going to sound like because they all sound really different arrangement wise and the familiarity and the ease with which kids can learn the song because of the pattern makes it easier for them to access the song and get to the real goal which is as you said the practicing of those irregular past tense verbs and because we don't have to learn a completely new song we can focus more of our energy on the learning objectives uh, which is, of course, recognizing the meaning of, well, the past and the present, uh, of uh, and the relationship between them of those verbs. And, um, and we can focus more of our time not on practicing the component, but on participating in discussions and responding to questions and contributing comments and all the things that are the real goals of this component. Yeah, absolutely. So students have had this particular series all the way back starting in Unit 11. So by now, if you've been teaching this properly, then your students know the general flow of it. They know that, okay, we're talking about now and before in just using different words and expressions. So like you said, Miklos, we can spend a lot more of our time targeting the language, getting students to output using that language because they already understand the general concept of now and before that we've been working on all the way back since unit 11. Yes, and the sad part is this is the last one, so when you hit unit 21, maybe there might be some kids. I, I find that parents really look forward to it when, when they find out, they're like, there's no more, I went to see the... Then they might be a little sad, so be ready for that. Well, just like I see numbers in units four and five, and then fuzzy wuzzy friends, eventually, Everything has to come to an end. All good things have to come to an end. <laughs> this is the last, oh, no spoilers here, but the last Johnny Bear story also. We'll get to that later. Let's bring up the mood a little bit by moving <laughs> on to the next material. The grape seed step. Yeah, I've seen you teach this actually, sir. Uh, and it was magical. <laughs> in the learning objectives and in the quick checks, you'll notice that, that, that the key words that are suggested are words like slip and slipped and lean. And these are words that we probably don't use every day as part of our just natural flow of conversation. So if you don't plan ahead or worst case scenario, you don't use the lesson plans, uh, which uh, if you use the lesson plans, you can fit everything naturally into the flow of, of your teaching. But um, if you decided just wing it and go, oh, I'll just figure out uh, another way to use lean today, you're gonna paint yourself into a corner. Uh, because uh, it's not as easy to wing it using certain words in context and keep students interested in it. You can fall into the trap of trying to come up with awkwardly contrived phrases and questions. And in certain lessons, uh, this song really actually serves as, as an action activity in a certain kind of way. I mean, it's, it's, not, it's, a, it's not an action activity. Actually, there are no action activities in Unit 20, but there are plenty of chances to get up and move around, and this is one of them. An example of that is in Lesson 27, the, in the lesson plan, there are no questions that, that the plan calls for to ask. And that's with purpose. The song 
is at the end of the lesson, it's the last thing that we teach in lesson 27, and it's intended to give kids a way to end the class on a super fun, energetic note. And ending a class with, uh, especially after maybe a long writing assignment, and then you end with uh, the grapeseed step, and kids go home feeling uh, like you do when you walk out of a, when you walk out of a Broadway musical and you're humming that last song and you're just going, yeah, that was awesome. And that's uh, how the Grapeseed Step can fit into a really uh, effective lesson. Yeah, Miklos highlighted a bit ago that he's seen me teach this one. <laughs> and this is, it's story time, uh, boys and girls, because this is a great opportunity to highlight how helpful the lesson plans are in keeping us focused on the learning objective. So before we had lesson plans, I taught a class where I thought it'd be a great idea to let the students make up their own version of the dance and we would all do it <laughs> oh, together. And Miklos is already laughing because he knows how this ends. I saw that, yeah. Um, the actual execution ended up being a disaster. So embarrassed students who didn't want to participate, severely affecting the pacing of my lesson. Luckily now with the lesson plans, we don't fall into this trap so easily. We have a solid framework to work from, occasionally adding small comments or questions to support our students, but the lesson plans keep us focused on the learning objectives and don't set us up for a disaster, like in my case there, though they set us up for success in hitting those learning objectives and making the language fun for your students. To be fair, it wasn't necessarily a disaster. I'd say it was more of a catastrophe. But, <laughs> That's uh, a worse than a disaster. <laughs> well, you know, I mean. A key point there being that self-reflection is important. So occasionally yeah. you will have an idea that you'll try out in class and it might not go well. And if it doesn't go well, you need to be sensitive enough and aware enough and humble enough to self-reflect and say, okay, I can never do that again. And what can I do to be more effective in the next lesson? So doesn't matter how long you've been teaching grapeseed, doesn't matter if you're a teacher or a trainer, everybody's had these situations where things didn't go very well. Yeah, as a teacher, we're always gonna, there are days when it's not gonna go perfect, things that we plan for. We're gonna eat crow sometimes. Uh, but as I like to say in the training, uh, the good part about being a teacher is that we are not air traffic controllers. And if we goof it, then we can just do better the next day. And our kids, as long as we have a strong relationship with them, they'll forgive us if the grape seed step doesn't go as planned. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. On that note, let's move to the last song of Unit 20, 100 Men. Yes, 100 Men. This is It's a short song, and it's also the title of the unit. But uh, this is another great chance for a quote-unquote bottom break. It's a chance to get up. Uh, not, I mean, uh, within reason, of course. There's some days when you just sit and sing it, and that's fine, too. But um, to, uh, march. March and do the actions. Why wouldn't you? Uh, it's a chance to get up out of your seat and go, yeah, we're going to march with meaning and purpose, of course. Not just, this isn't just like random, you know, like running around. It's uh, so that kids can move around and learn through doing. And something that I noticed uh, with the student part of the lesson plans at this point, with not just with this component, but with, with a lot of them, but especially this, I noticed it was uh, under the student column in the lesson plan, it said, contribute comments. And I like that because it doesn't say what they're going to contribute. It doesn't even say that all students, all, not all students are going to contribute because some kids are shy or quiet or might not be confident to do so. Or maybe they're not even interested in saying, responding to what you're talking about at this moment in time. But encourage, encouraging students to always contribute, either by raising their hands or sometimes without, just spontaneous but polite interactions. Uh, kids always have a lot to say. 
Uh, this song is simple, but it opens doors to talking about things that are connected by not just the subject of this song, like you know, soldiers marching up a hill, but the language opens doors to wide-ranging topics, and the lesson plans help show us that path. And the kids, through their comments that they contribute, will take us down that path. Yeah, I'd like to talk specifically about the language in this material. So like you said, it's a simple song. It can be fun for students to sing. It's a good thing to get students up and moving. But if we're looking at the text of the song itself, it can be a bit tricky to figure out what we're doing with this material. So as always, it's good to look at your quick checks. So let's look at the middle exposure quick checks because that's what I'd really like to highlight here. Can students recognize the meaning of the phrase I heard about. So to get them to this stage by the middle exposures, you'll need to model some examples in earlier exposures to set them up for success here. So maybe a couple minutes before the lesson, you can talk about something you heard on the news last night, or you heard it was someone's birthday that day. It can be helpful to think about what you can do in your current lesson to help set students up for success in these later quick checks. That will do it for songs. So as Miklos mentioned before, Unit 20 does not have an action activity, but even without one, you'll want to keep an eye out and provide movement for your students if you feel they need it. For example, if you're about to tell a story and you see that your students are losing focus, a quick series of commands like stand up, turn around two times, and sit down can help refocus them. Or you can use some of the songs in this unit like Miklos talked about of The Grapeseed Step or 100 Men and add a little bit of action even if the lesson plan doesn't call for it, if you feel your students need it in that moment. Yeah, even something as simple as when you sing that kind of day, stand up. It's more fun. It's like a chorus. That's a, yeah, that's a song. You should, you should always stand to sing that song because it begs you to stand up because it's so lovely. All right, everybody, we need to move on to chance before okay. Mikolos continues to talk more about that kind of day. <laughs> so we'll start with, yes, I should. Yes. I should. Actually, <laughs> we this, should move on, this, uh, We should. Uh, should we move on? Yes. Actually, this one also has action in it. There's, there's, there's action everywhere throughout the unit. But something that I was, I was flipping through the teacher manual and lesson plans for units 16, 17, all the way through this one through 20. And I, I realized that, or I was reminded of something I've seen in my own classroom and in other teachers' classrooms, which is, Students, uh, many students, are likely still getting used to the differences between would, could, and should. Mm. And in most cases, like with other languages as well, not just this, but um, they can understand what you're saying when you use those words in a specific context, but they might not still be able, or they might, they might still have uh, uncertainty about how to use them themselves. And they'll make mistakes. So the kids who are more uh, how are confident and are just going to just dive and just try it, they'll, they'll try it and they'll, they'll make mistakes. And of course, that's good. We should be encouraging uh, trying even if you make a mistake. Making mistakes is how we learn. But keeping that in mind, we have to also be careful not to force output and to keep things simple. When kids want, kids want to talk. They all want to talk. They, well, they all want to express their, uh, their thoughts and their ideas and their opinions. And uh, we 
can serve them best by helping them not be afraid of saying something that no one can understand. Being ready so that you can interpret what, if, if a student is gonna go out on a limb and, and use should, and they use it wrong, and you're not sure what they're saying, that you can follow up with, okay, get more information from them so that they can figure it out. Yeah, we could recast for them as necessary, or we can build a scaffold around them in that moment. If they're having trouble with a particular phrase in what they're trying to say, and you can figure out where they're going with what they're trying to talk about, you can help them build that sentence by giving them little word prompts here and there to help guide them along as they build the sentence on their own. Yeah, yeah, and they'll gain confidence. And this is another one of those components too where when we're teaching it, that's not the only time we can use the language from this component uh, throughout the lesson or or when we're playing outside or with kids before or after class or anytime during the day. For example, sometimes you might have leftover time at the end of the class. We, we finish the plan early and uh, you can say, boys and girls, we're done. We still have four minutes. What should we do? And just natural moments uh, where we can use specific language in context, and kids don't even realize what's happening, but the language that they're learning in certain components is being reinforced in uh, natural ways. Great. Let's look at the quick checks here for this material. And if we're looking at them, they all center around the question, should you something something. But if we look at the text of the chant itself, the subject of each of those sentences changes. So should I, should you, should he, should she, should we. So those keep switching out. But the quick checks only really want us to focus on should you. So if your class can already do that and they're really comfortable with both asking and answering should you questions, then you can look to start adding a bit of a challenge and in incorporating different subjects, getting students talking about other things and what they should or should not do. But as a baseline, we want to be focused on the should you question structure. That's right. Okay, let's go into the second chant for unit 20, last night. For last night, as we add language to our students' repertoire, we should be becoming more and more aware of ways that we can cross-reference comprehensible input. Hmm. One of the important words in this chant is the word might. You know, something might happen, or I might do this later. Using might phrases when talking about other components is a great way for students to gain more context, just exponentially greater context. For example, later we'll talk about the story in this unit, uh, pop or grow, stop or grow. And we can say something like, well, but this is for any component, of course. We can say something like, after in the story, you know, the, the old lady, uh, she gets the stuff that makes your plant grow really uh, great. And you can say, hey, uh, boys and girls, I might go to the store and look for that too and see what kids say. And this is another th part that I was thinking, when I was thinking about teaching this component, I realized, again, we don't always just have to ask questions. Our daily communication isn't just one long Q&A session. Just say things with purpose that kids can understand and see what they say about it. Sometimes we ask questions, but sometimes we just say things and let them land. Kids respond oftentimes more easily when there isn't the pressure of a question. They don't, they're not being prompted to respond. Just talk normally and feed kids the contextual comprehensible input that excites them and they're excited because they understand and they'll respond if they have something to say about it or if they have an opinion. Like if you say, hey, like with the aforementioned, uh, I might go to the store and look for that. Maybe they'll just be quiet that day, but maybe sometimes they'll go, no, don't do that. Oh no, grow too much or whatever they're going to say. But again, it goes back with this component, it goes back to using might and being aware of, okay, 
I might do this, I might do that. Uh, hey boys and girls, at the beginning of class, today we might have leftover time, and if we do, we might play a game at the end, if we have extra time, and if you're really good, and if we focus and we do get all of our, all of our stuff done, then we might be able to do that. That really echoes my point as well of, this is the main focus of the material, the phrase, I might, and how it's used. We can see in every sentence in this material that begins with last night, there's a past tense, a regular verb, and students have already had this, like we talked about from 11 to 20 in all those I went to see my series. So this is just more exposure for them. These are words they already know. This is all review for them. So this is nice passive review of these irregular verbs, but the real focus is on I might and focusing on that. Well said. Thank you. Let's go to poems. Yeah, these are the last shared read. This is... Wow, Unit 20 has so many final endings. From here on out, this is, this is the last of the shared reading. After Unit 20, we get into new uncharted territory. Great, so let's talk about time for fun first then. Yeah, something that I've seen in classes recently, or I see from time to time, is when, and this is something that, because we're teachers, we wanna teach, but we forget sometimes that kids are able to do things without being quote unquote taught all the time. And at this point with poems, and this, I mean, it's, we should have been doing this from long since uh, past, but uh, let kids read the poem first, and because they can, and praise them. Uh, even if it's not completely accurate, uh, they'll get better with accuracy with our help. That's where our teaching comes in. Keep the poems uh, short, keep it to, to a minute or a minute and a half uh, according to the lesson plans. Follow the lesson plans to stay on track because your students will get bored if you drag this out too long, but let them read. This is for confidence building and for us as the teacher to listen for accuracy and their natural expression. With a lot of materials in Grapeseed, we are in the quick checks really targeting one specific thing. But like Miklos was saying, our students already know how to read things pretty well if we compare just the text of this poem with what they're doing in their readers. The readers are much more complicated and much more difficult. So this poem will be a lot easier for them, but what we're doing with this poem is we're double checking to make sure students understand a lot of different concepts as we move from 20 to 21 and students are going to be asked to do a little bit more heavy lifting with their reading and writing content. So looking at the quick checks here, early exposures. Are students able to recognize features of the text such as ending punctuation and its function? Middle exposures. Are students able to recognize contractions? End exposures. Can students participate in discussions about the poem? They're all very different things, but we're making sure students understand each of them, just double checking because they've had exposure to all these things in earlier units. We're double checking that they have them down so that when we move on to 21 and up and things are a little more difficult and complicated, they can hit the ground running a lot more easily. Next poem, Bluebirds. Yeah, again, accuracy. Listen for accuracy and expression and address errors for the benefit of the entire class, specifically without calling out individuals, you know, unless there's a specific um, case. But uh, when you're reading the poem, like, you know, and kids go, every day in the spring, I love to hear the bluebirds sing. You can say, oh, very good, boys and girls. And then maybe uh, model it for them. Or uh, if there's a word that they, as a class, or even if you heard a few kids say, uh, you know, say something not correctly. Or if there's a common error, 
uh, with expression or flow or, um, or reading that, that you know that they make every single day, point it out beforehand and go, uh, you know, every, every, right, boys and girls. What's that word? Every, very, okay, now let's read the poem. And then, because you know that they're gonna, they're, they're gonna goof it again today, but not with your help. Uh, they're, gonna, they're gonna succeed because of you. And again, the poem, like all of these poems, they're, they're to be taught uh, efficiently. Not race through, you know, but not drag out. Um, but uh, it's, it's quick, we don't, we don't waste time with it. It's a uh, you know, minute, minute and a half, and kids can feel that confidence boost when they go, yeah, wow, we read that, that's awesome. And now we're moving on to something uh, even more fun. Perfect. One more thing to mention here is bringing up Mikolos's point earlier about cross-referencing language from other materials. So for looking at the language specifically in this one, talking about what you love to do, this ties right back into that kind of day. There's a lot of similar language, a lot of similar expressions. So if you want to give students extra practice here in Bluebirds, being time efficient, of course, you can call back to some of those concepts and language used in that kind of day and vice versa. The language is almost identical. Like uh, in the poem, it says, I love to hear the bluebird sing. And in the song, it says, and listen to the bluebird sing. Like it's, it's the same. Yeah. I bet you guys didn't think that you'd get to hear Miklos sing in this podcast, but you did. All right, last poem, green to red. Yeah, we're practicing reading. Kids can read, but it's not about practicing. This is, this is again, a confidence booster. They can already read these things. We are focusing on details. And, uh, and if we use the suggestions from the lesson plans, as we should, we can create variety within this practice by, uh, from time to time, having, having individuals read or having uh, the boys read and then the girls read in turn. Uh, and then everybody, um, making sure everybody gets to practice every day. But something, though, to avoid, having kids come up to read the poem uh, individually is a minefield because, uh, one, they're going to block the poem. Uh, and also, when you choose the kid to come up, then they walk up takes time and they, they have, to, you have to get them to stand the right way. Okay, that takes time too. And they have to go back to their seat. And then the, uh, the rest of the class is, what are they doing? They're just waiting for something to happen. And uh, it's okay to have kids just, if you want to choose an individual, just let them read from their seat. The poems are designed to be seen from everyone's seat and it keeps it efficient and everyone can see. And then, uh, and then after the individual reads or after the boys read, or after the girls read, then the entire class reads together. And uh, so that everyone gets that confidence uh, in an efficient amount of time. Solid point. Yeah, we don't need students to come up and read the poem at this stage. In Unit 20, by this stage, we want them tracking with their eyes and not with their fingers anyway when they're reading. So you can just avoid that loss of pacing by just having your students read from their chairs, like Miklos said. Yeah, that's fun. Okay, big books. <laughs> big books. The Egg. Oh, yeah, The Egg. This is... This is a long one, right? Some of these big books are um, a bit longer than others. And uh, I was noticing, I was, I was flipping through different lessons on this, and there was something in one of the lesson plans that stood out. It said, um, tell the kids to read as if they're talking. And I thought, wow, I wish I remembered that earlier than Unit 20, because we should always be thinking in terms of, yeah, kids, they're still maybe getting, they're still practicing reading, but that doesn't mean that they can't read with natural intonation. Uh, and they can understand that when you tell them, hey, boys and girls, yeah, let's read, and read it like you're talking. And then they'll get that, they'll understand. And, and if they don't, of course, we'll show them, 
uh, we'll model it for them, but this will help them with, with reading with natural expression because they'll go, oh, like I'm talking. Because you know, you get into that reading mode of just like, I am reading this now and I cannot, I read, you read like a robot. And that's not because you mean to do it, that's just how we do it when we're learning to read. But if we're encouraging students to read like we're talking, then they'll make a special note to go, okay, I'm gonna try to give it a little extra oomph and, and, be, and be a little more natural and make it sound really good. Yeah, the text itself here, there isn't a lot of repetitive language, so it's not like that is causing students to read without an expressive voice. It's more that you're talking about what happens Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. It's almost like going through a list. So that can cause students to then read a bit more robotically because it feels like you're going off of a checklist at times if you don't bring that extra expressiveness and energy. So encourage your students like Mikolo said and you'll be good. Yeah, and these big books, all the shared reading and all the units where these uh, appear are deceptively simple, but the learning objectives are so important. And for this one too, I was just reminding myself of the objectives of listen to and participate in discussions, respond to questions, contribute comments. After a student answers a question or comments about, it, about this component, ask the class what that student said to extend the two-way communication. Keep it efficient but encourage students to add to the dialogue to, to get the most out of it so kids can feel like, oh yeah, I'm expressing what I want to express in English based on what I've, what I've learned from this component, from this story, this book. Great, let's move on to Little Duck. So the language in this big book seems simple at first, but if we look a little deeper, we can look at some of the language skills we're asking our students to develop here in Unit 20. In a lot of our lower units, we're using language in the materials to add to our students' oral language foundation. In this particular material, we're adding to it with the new vocabulary words of lost and found, while also getting our students to use that knowledge they have built up to think and figure things out for themselves. So the big book doesn't ever explicitly say what the little duck's question is, but based on context clues of the big book, we can expect students to figure it out on their own. So in unit 20, we're getting our students to this level where they can use those context clues, make inferences, figure out an answer that isn't explicitly stated where we wouldn't normally be able to do that in earlier units. Yeah, they're gonna come to their own conclusions about what they see and what they understand, and it's exciting. And they'll make jokes about it too. Be ready for that, because uh, sometimes there's a subtext and uh, where they, something is not explicitly said, but the kids are gonna go, oh, Oh, interesting. And then um, in, in lesson nine, an interesting question comes up. Uh, we, we ask uh, kids, hey, uh, boys and girls, and this has come up in previous units with other components as well, but here it's, uh, I think it's especially important to point out that we ask the kids, hey, uh, what is this book about? And again, it's the only time in the unit that we ask that question because we, we avoid asking the same exact questions over and over again because we don't want to drill in and get uh, these rote, memorized answers. But consider, before you ask it, as you're preparing for that lesson, where you're gonna ask a question like that, what is this book about? Think about what students might say. Be ready for it. Maybe they won't say anything. Maybe they'll say something way out of left field. Have you, well hopefully you've asked that question about other components because the lesson plans do, do point us in that direction. Um, but uh, if students don't answer, or if they say something kind of crazy or, 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 or surprising, think about what you're gonna say and how you're gonna redirect it back toward the objectives of, of the component. Perfect. Let's go to the last big book, P. 
Peas, Please. Peas, Please. Yeah, again, this is another big book that is, this one's shorter, and it's, it's again, deceptively simple, but it's chock full of very important language acquisition objectives, and it lends itself to student-to-student interaction. The lesson plans, again, guide us in this direction, but always make sure that uh, we're not always just doing this quest, this Q&A between the teacher and students where, uh, you know, we just ask questions and students answer. This is another, this is one of those components that is so easy to get kids sharing with each other and talking with each other, sharing with a friend what you like, and then asking, hey, boys and girls, so what did your, what did your friend say? And you're creating this, this dynamic of, okay, there, there's teacher to student interaction, there's students talking to the teacher, there's students talking to each other, and then there are students reporting back to the class about what their friends said. That is uh, authentic communication, and it's really easy with this component. Amazing point. Another thing to note here is if we're looking at the text itself, do you like to eat green peas? Now, if you're a veteran grapeseed teacher, you might look at that and say, Hey, my students have had a really similar thing with do you like red all the way back in unit one. Like, this is too easy for our students. And while the question is deceptively easy, we can increase the expectations that we have from our students from an output perspective to ramp up to what we expect them to do in unit 20. So, for example, our students might come back with something in early exposures like I like to eat noodles. Okay, great, fine, that's a full sentence answer, but we can push for more. You can get students even beyond that to, I like to eat noodles at night, every day, with chopsticks. So adding those extra bits of phrases and complexity to really incorporate knowledge that they've already had. This is a good example of our spiral curriculum at work. Whereas in unit one with do you like red, we're just expecting a simple yes I do by the end of the unit, but here we can expect them to say, not just a full sentence, but a full complex sentence incorporating language that we've been practicing and reviewing all the way since unit one. Yeah, that's a great point. I love the spiral curriculum, by the way. And uh, it's, it's okay to talk about similar things again. It's, that's how we live. When your friend comes up to you and after, you know, uh, you saw him on Tuesday and today's Thursday and your friend comes up and says, hey, how's it going? You don't say to him, you asked me that before. Ask me a more difficult question. Like, uh, <laughs> like uh, no, we, we have similar, we talk about similar things all the time. We don't drill questions and answers all the time, but we, it's okay to revisit things and then build on them later. That's how we learn. Exactly. Okay, let's move on to stories. Popper grow, stopper grow. Yeah, this is another story that uses uh, lots of prepositional phrases. And I mean, aside aside from the fact that it's a it's a goofy story, like like many of them are. And um, but something to make note of that we can often forget is that um, yeah, prepositional phrases like like the top of the window, up the chimney, out on the roof. A good thing to do, again, uh, I can't say it enough times, is to make note, make a mental note of when you use prepositional phrases outside of just teaching this story, when you're playing with students and interacting with students uh, during lesson time, outside of lesson times. Um, when you use prepositional phrases, uh, use them with purpose. And when students speak and they leave out parts, as they do because they're still learning English, uh, when they when they leave out key prepositions or, or, or parts of those prepositional phrases, uh, recast for them, and or, or when appropriate, see if they can see if they can self-correct. 
uh, when they say certain things like, oh, uh, um, what happened to the ball? Oh, the ball went uh, out window, uh, uh, ball uh, window out. And he's like, oh, the ball went out the window? Yeah, oh, try that, try that. Oh, the ball went out the window, very good. Um, this is another example of, yeah, well, we've been practicing with certain kinds of prepositional phrases ever since Mouse in the Barn in Unit 1 um, and the mother who lives in a boot in Unit 2, but all throughout because we use prepositions, I'm using prepositions right now. So we're not going to just, you know, stop practicing them. This is another chance to practice with them. In that vein, you'll definitely want to practice with this material a lot before teaching it. Not only figuring out how you're going to gesture and point with those prepositional phrases, but as the plant grows on the different objects around the room and the house, you'll want to think through how you're going to point and gesture to be really clear with your students so you can really draw them into the story from exposure one. Yeah. Also, too, something about this story uh, in the in the quick checks and in the in the teacher manual, it uh, points out that um, recalling information about the story and answering questions about it is is one of the objectives, and it's important to balance that out with remembering that quizzing kids isn't the purpose of asking questions. Getting kids to share their thoughts is. Mm. So, if you ask a question about this story or any component, it's okay to let kids see the story card. Um, recalling from memory is a different skill than practicing speaking in a new language. Uh, of course, there are times when you'll do that, just you know, for for a specific purpose. But for example, on card five of the story, if you ask what happened the next morning, um, it's okay to let the kids see the card so that they can. They don't have to. They're not going to spend their energy uh, trying to recall information from their memory, especially on an early exposure. But if they see the card, then they can practice speaking as they see it, and they can tell you what they're seeing and answer your question. And the goal, uh, the outcome becomes, they're not just answering a question going, oh, okay, gotta answer the question. They're, they're practicing sharing information for the purpose of building on that so that eventually they can share information that they think of. And, uh, and that's, where the, that's where the good verbal output comes from. Exactly. Because in the end, it doesn't matter if students remember exactly how the plant grew on card four. What matters is, can they look at the picture and recalling the language that their teacher has been using and the language that they've learned in previous units, can they express what they're seeing? Can they express what they remember? So it's not a comprehension quiz of our students. It's, okay, look at this, use the language you know, and express yourself. Yeah. And a good thing to do is, um, on a creative note, I saw a teacher do this a while back, where uh, they made their own uh, can of Popper Grow and Stopper Grow, and they didn't say anything about it. They just had it sitting on the windowsill of their classroom, and just to see if kids would notice it, and hilarity ensues. So uh, consider little, little fun things like that. Or just make your students watch a little shop of horrors. <laughs> Thank you. I was going to say that, but I, I, I thought maybe uh, a, uh, an old uh, reference uh, like that might, might fall flat. But Little Shop of Horrors definitely comes to mind um, when I see this. Okay, second story, Donald's trip to the ocean. So this story reviews a lot of language around telling time and reading a clock. So your students have already had this, but they may be a little bit rusty with it. So even if they are, it won't take long for them to remember how to use the language because the language isn't that complicated to begin with. Yeah, and they can probably already use it to a certain extent before this story, but this story gives kids a chance to, uh, to use it with... Uh, with specific context and with purpose for the, um, so they can 
start using it with purpose to describe and talk about things that are important to them. Mm. And uh, what I like about this story is we finally get a component that uh, makes has just gratuitous use of the word excited. And uh, you've probably used the word excited or I'm excited or that's exciting many, many times with your students ever since the beginning of their experience um, in English class with you. And some kids probably can already use it based on their interactions with you. But now is a good chance to explore more about things that are exciting. And because nothing is more exciting to kids than talking about things that are exciting or or not exciting. Um, for example, English class is always exciting every day. And you're going to get one kid who just goes, no exciting. And then, of course, you can recast and say, oh, excuse me, uh, not exciting. And and then, yeah, starting by asking with the story, hey, what was exciting? Uh, why was he excited? And then going, hey, boys and girls, um, tell me about a time recently when you were excited. You, were you excited at school? It was fun. Oh, you went to the zoo on a field trip? That's exciting. Things like that. Yeah, it's a good conversation to have if you have that extra time at the end of your lesson. Yeah. Great, let's move on to why, why. I love why, why. Because the title card uh, with Artie just going, why, why, there's just something kind of humorous about it. <laughs> like, he's like, why, why? Um, existential so, crisis. Yeah, Artie. he's having some sort of an existential crisis. But, but of course, we, we can use that humor and um, and use that, that expression and go, boys, he goes, why, why? Um, because it's fun to, to, to be dramatic like that sometimes. And this story is it's a repetitive series of, of questions that use why. And uh, because it's repetitive, we have to really be careful not to drill students with why questions. Ask why in context all the time when it comes up. Uh, like when you're playing outside, or uh, like, like I mentioned before, uh, during class and outside of class. When a student comments about something that requires a follow-up or, or lends itself to a follow-up why question, ask. Like, uh, or when you're teaching another component, like this will come up, it's in the lesson plans too, but if, you, if, it's a, if, if there's a moment where you can do this, ask about something that happened in a story, in, in another story or another component. For example, in Popper Grow, Stopper Grow. Why did the old woman use Popper Grow? That's a really good question, right? Um, why, and in, uh, in the previous story, uh, why does Donald like to go on trips with his family? And more importantly, boys and girls, why do you like to go on trips with your family? Uh, things like that. This story is helping kids uh, gain uh, more context with which to use why and answer questions like that. Because we've been practicing this for a while, ever since unit eight. Yeah, so. Um, um, again, something another another example of yeah. You know, we don't just practice one you know ex one language expression and then move on. We weave it into other contexts because that's how life is and that's how the spiral curriculum works. Yeah, one big indication of that is that there's no new vocabulary being taught in this material. This is all review, and it's especially a review of answering with because or so to start your sentence and how those are different. So as you're telling the chant, you want to be really clear about how you're conveying the meaning, but then when you're also modeling example sentences for your students, be very clear about which one is correct in your usage. Yeah, and uh, as you're reading it, try your best not to get into that drone, that that rhythmic drone. Mm. Um, read naturally. Pretend like every page is unique, and then you'll come out sounding more natural. Otherwise, kids will just be like, I don't know why. Do you know why? Like it, it's it'll sound like they're just saying words without thinking about them. 
Great. Let's go to the Johnny Bear story. The last one, like you mentioned, Johnny and Jenny uh, Bear helping a neighbor. Yeah, the final episode of Johnny Bear. This is all of you who are teaching Unit 20, uh, if, you've, if you've been teaching any of the previous units up until now, you already know this. Uh, Johnny Bear stories require practice because they are they're full of uh, dialogue and action and specific gestures and pointing need to be used so that you can really convey the meaning that there's so much going on in all the artwork on every page if you don't practice then kids they'll still have a good time because all, all kids love Johnny Bear but the more you practice at reading the story and, and, and pointing to the pictures and, and using a meaningful gesture and using voices, especially in this story because the, the nice old neighbor, Mr. Black, uh, you know, make a, make a specific voice for him and practice it and, and make sure that when you, or for any of, the, of Johnny's family's voices, you know, you don't have to be a, you know, a voice recording artist, you know, to do this, but just make specific choices. And if you're not good at voices, that's fine too, it doesn't matter, but make a specific choice and, and go with it and make sure it's consistent so students understand what they're listening to and it'll be way more fun. If you do make up a voice for Mr. Black while you're telling this story, keep it within reason. So you want to still be able to clearly say the words of the story and say what Mr. Black is saying so your students can understand the language, but you can have a little bit of fun with it too and put a little bit of your own theatricality into it. Oh yeah, like sometimes when we do old person voices, we can get almost where it's not even comprehensible, like, oh, I'm Robert Brocker, or you give him some crazy accent that no one can understand. Make sure the kids go, yeah, uh, we get that he's an old guy, uh, but make sure that they can, yeah, uh, understand what he's saying. Well, that brings us to the end of Unit 20. Thanks again for joining the podcast, Miklos. As always, I had a great time. As always, thank you for listening, and good luck in the classroom. Hey everyone, do you have a question about Grapeseed that you would like answered on this podcast? We will do some occasional mail carrier episodes where we answer your questions, so feel free to write in. You can email the show at mailcarrier at grapeseed.com, M-A-I-L-C-A-R-R-I-E-R at grapeseed.com. Keep in mind that we may not be able to answer everyone's questions on the podcast, but if you leave your contact info, including your country, we will make sure to get back to you, whether it is on the podcast or in a follow-up email. We look forward to hearing from you. Goodbye, my friends, goodbye. I'm sad to say goodbye. It was a good day, but now I will say goodbye, my friends, goodbye. Goodbye, everyone.